Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the House Divided Podcast. Jeremy, Paul, Chris got fired in October. Uh, you know, I think um, I appreciate the University of Wisconsin because this time of year, as I learned today, it's time to get your lawn ready for the winter. Uh, you know, maybe one of your last cuts, start getting the leaves together, spraying the lawn. And I just, if I know Paul Chris like I know him, he needed that time. He needed those Saturdays <laughs> back. And uh, he's got that time now. He's got that time to make sure the lawn is looking good. And I, I appreciate the University of Wisconsin uh, doing that while at the same time wondering, damn, Don, like, Tony Granato has to have like the greatest information on the entire university. <laughs> I mean, he won a Big <laughs> Ten like a year ago. But like, I, I get it. We've been shitting on Tony Granato uh, for a while. Let's, let's keep correction. this on track here. Oh. Cole Caulfield won a Big Ten, and we are talking hockey. This okay, week, so I, I have the right to go there. But Fair go on, Paul no, Chris you're you're and, right. Cole Caulfield, Cole Caulfield did win win that <laughs> conference uh, for him. <laughs> but yeah, Paul Chris gets. Uh, I texted you initially that I wasn't surprised, and I totally take that back. By the way, because <laughs> um, like. I wasn't surprised because I'm friends with a couple of Wisconsin fans who are like so fed up that like I knew that's what people wanted. But you were right in the fact that Wisconsin did an October 1st or 2nd uh, firing. That is just something I've never seen. And so, yeah, it it is surprising to see it happen midseason. But for for Brett Bielema to take the fight in the line into Camp Randall – while Paul Christ had an opportunity to beat Burt's win total, that game they're tied right now at Wisconsin for Wisconsin wins, and they will now be forever tied because <laughs> because Brett Bielema went in and beat their ass. Man, that's and the I most Midwest it. nice situation ever. <laughs> most yeah. Midwest nice, you know, and like the difference is like the reason I was shocked because a. Like saying that they like I can't believe that they fired someone on October second. Like Wisconsin has never fired a football coach in our lives. So let alone October second. Like they either let it's either that the guy leaves them or it is your future athletic director, Barry Alvarez. That's been our whole life of Wisconsin football. So for them to fire someone was shocking. Uh then they do it on October second, which is shocking. And yeah, man. And like, I feel like there's a Wisconsin that we know of like young online Wisconsin fans who would be upset with this. They want Paul Chris gone, but there's like, it kind of feels a little Nebraska to me where it's like, there's got to be a contingent of like older Wisconsin. Like, oh, there oh, is. He's won nine to 10 games every single year. I, I mean, which we give Nebraska crap. They fired Bo Pelini. Like, very likely that if Wisconsin goes south here, we can just be like, you did the Bo Pelini thing. You fired the guy who wins nine yeah. to ten games basically the, every year. The problem and, is, is that Paul Christ was an offensive coordinator, and the offense yeah. has just gotten worse and worse and worse. 
And that's why they promote Jim Leonard, because the defense still rocks. They're kind of like uh, Iowa on steroids, I think. And <laughs> it, it just – I struggle with the Bo Pelini comparison there just because, like, Bo Pelini never really had that steep decline. He was still going, like, eight, eight and five, nine and four, like his, his typical thing when he got fired. And so I, I don't think Wisconsin was heading for a season like that if they don't make this change. They still could be heading towards a six and six season, even though they made the change. Um, and you get yourself in on the Lance Leipold uh, sweepstakes early, huh? So here's the thing that I don't make sense out of that, too, because again, it seems like the Wisconsin fan base is split or the story is split. That's how I read it. And then I see some people say, they did this move because they were nervous that they would lose Jim Leonard and they want to give him the audition. And if it goes okay, they're just going to hire him. To which oh, I say, like, yeah, that is an alternative theory. Which I guess it's 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 not terrible. You're but, but you're paying a buyout to see if he's the guy, and also he's a defensive coordinator. So this offense is not getting better in the next seven weeks. So how good of an audition really is it? I don't know. Like that theory doesn't, I, I hope it's the latest light pole yeah. theory. Cause but that the, honestly makes more sense to me. Yes. Than this other Jim Leonard theory. But I mean, they've also been saying he's basically the coach and waiting forever. So we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, I know as a Michigan state fan, I was pissed because now I feel like they're going to get the whole interim coach bounce. And that was one of the very few games I thought we could maybe win the rest of the year. So mm. that's cool. Well, hey, you guys can still win. They're still not a good football team. And that's a. am glad you brought up Michigan State because while it's fun to poke fun at uh, Wisconsin over there, uh, we are not the premier Wisconsin football podcast. We're not even the premier Michigan-Michigan State podcast, but we are a Michigan-Michigan State podcast. So let's get to our game, shall we? Uh, let's, let's lead off with Michigan against Iowa. Uh, J.J. McCarthy's first ever road game, Michigan's first road game of the season. I thought they showed pretty well. I think that went about as good as it goes when you go into Kinnick. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty boring affair, which is what you want uh, if you're Michigan, right? Like, there's yes. no – nothing happening. Uh, Iowa tried to make a little bit of a spurt there in the fourth quarter, but it was never really dangerous. And, no. uh, yeah, man, I mean, Iowa was about as bad offensively as you can be, and Michigan didn't give them any chance to find anything to change that. So Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. The, the thing is with this game is that Michigan, once they went up 20-0, to zero, really just decided we're going to sit on it because the only way we lose this legitimately is if we melt down and start trying to get too cute and let them get defensive scores and whatnot. And as much as that kind of annoys me, like partially, because you you have playoff aspirations, you're in the top four, you want Michigan to come out and just maul everybody. Of course, that's what we all want when we watch a football game. But I get it. Like that, that once it was 20 to zero with a couple minutes left in the third quarter, there was no world where Iowa wins that football game if Michigan doesn't throw the ball again. Like if you just hand it off to Blake Corum repeatedly, uh, Michigan doesn't lose that football game. And um, that's basically what they did. Uh, they got lucky once when it was 20 to seven, I believe, or maybe it was 20 to zero. And this field field position led to them getting a touchdown. 
But J.J. McCarthy did have the one backwards throw while he was getting obliterated. Um, and luckily Donovan Edwards recovers on his own seven. But right, like if that happens and maybe Iowa recovers and they punch it in in a different fashion, because like I said, I don't remember if it was 20 to zero or 20 to seven at that point. Uh, that could have led to Michigan losing. But even then, I, I still struggle to see if uh, they move the ball very well in the first half. I mean, they get they have a couple plays where JJ doesn't get the right make the right read on an option and he misses a deep ball by like a yard to Ronnie Bell or not Ronnie Bell Roman Wilson excuse me um the, and they have to settle for field goals there but i mean they score on three out of their four first half drives with uh one of them got derailed by JJ tripping uh as he took the snap and then they come out and score on their first drive, a touchdown on their first drive of the third quarter. I really feel like this offense was moving the ball exactly how they needed to when they wanted to. And I thought it was a really solid road performance. The important part here is what we all know about JJ's ceiling, right? But he doesn't go into Iowa and make crazy dumb throws, try and do too much and potentially lose us a game. I think that was a lot of, Michigan fans worry here. I think that's a lot of Michigan fans. If you say, how does Michigan lose this game? It's because JJ McCarthy loses his mind. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I think I agree to you. And as a non-Michigan fan heading in, the only way Iowa wins this is JJ finds some like John O'Corn in him, right? Like that was the only way this game goes sideways because with what you have with Blake Corum and what that defense is against one of the worst offenses in the power five like you had to give them a pick six you had to give them something a special teams failure and michigan didn't give them anything so um if you're going to make iowa earn it by putting together drives you're probably okay yes um i tweeted this today i think blake Corum might be the best running back in the country and i'm not sure if i'm being a homer and this is where I need to wait. Uh, our our good buddy uh, Verbose did reply to me saying that he's an unbelievable player and also might be his third best running back in the Big Ten uh, behind Travion Henderson and Braylon Allen. And I would never make – I'm not here to make arguments against those guys. I just – Blake Corum, uh, he's so fun to watch. Second straight week, he has 29-plus carries. Don't love that. But I can't see that being a recurring thing through, you know, the Indiana game, maybe against Penn State, but not the Michigan State game. And then you're just playing Rutgers, Nebraska. for a, I, This isn't going to be an every week thing. He's an every down back. He always hits the right hole. He is not going down on first contact. He looks like Hassan Haskins out there, like in terms of is the first guy tackling him. And the answer is always no. It's just, I mean, the the best play he makes is uh, the final touchdown, right? The final offensive snap of the game for Michigan. I don't know if you saw this or if you watched the highlights, but it's a third and one. They block it perfectly to get Blake one-on-one with, uh, I believe it's Jack Campbell, uh, but it's Iowa's All-American linebacker. Uh, he's one-on-one with him in the gap and never gets within three yards of him because Blake 
you you have to be wary of him running you over now. And he's also just so savvy with his footwork, with his ability to make you miss. And that's what he does. He makes him miss and he's gone. <laughs> and, oh, I just love watching him so much. And I, I'm not rubbing it in because I know you're having a rough go at it. And we're going to get to that. You got to watch Kenneth Walker last year. So, you know, like, you know how much, like, running back, I would have to say, is one of the most fun positions to have a player like that at, as a fan. Uh, just because there's so many opportunities just to see like something cool, even if it's a six yard run that should have been a two yard run or, you know, and uh, I, I just, if I ever start to take Blake Corn for granted this year, cause this will be his last year as a Wolverine uh, yell at me, give me a, give me a bonk on the head. I will. And uh, in all I can say is I am as a friend, I, I will say that I'm thankful that you will not have to, uh, go through a Twitter Twitter week of your rival sending a defensive end to the Heisman candidacy while your running back sits at home. Because Blake probably going to be in he the top could be. five. If you drew the list right now, he'd be in the top five, and he'd be in New York. So, yeah, yeah man. Well, uh, hey, uh, early early season Heismans have never come back to haunt Michigan fans <laughs> before. So, <laughs> Has it ever been a running back, though? I mean, really, like uh, not really? since I've, I, I, so just to it's be always been fully open here. Yes. Just to be fully open here. I really started following Michigan football in like 2007 when I was like nine years old. And so like Mike Hart, maybe, but I don't remember Mike Hart ever and being been, in Heisman conversations. No. And, and here's the thing though. Mike was also multiple seasons of like consistent play to where like, through the whole season to where mm-hmm. you could never you could tell him he was never a Heisman finalist or he was never going to be good enough. That that might be accurate, but you couldn't really give him the September Heisman label. Right. That's yeah. destined for, like, your Tate 4CA. Oh, yeah. Denard. Because he has a good game against Notre Dame. and like everyone, <laughs> Denard because he has you know, a good Denard. game against Notre Dame. Yeah. That's the thing, right? <laughs> right? Like, those years where Michigan always played some junk teams and Notre Dame, and the quarterback, if he played good against Notre Dame and those junk teams, was your – Heisman candidate, and then the Big Ten schedule would usually catch up to them. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think that you can say Blake. Blake kind of fits into the Mike Hart category too. Of like, this is not his first year doing. No, this, this is either, this so. is not new. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, and, and this is it's just crazy because you know you're you're just like me. You see some of these players roll in as freshmen, and they get to contribute early, and you knew about them as a recruit. And you just start to come up with this idea of what they could be in a couple of years when they get to that junior senior level. And rarely <laughs> does it pan out, right? It's it's one in four or five guys who you see like that end up being that dude. And so to see Blake Corum, you know, everything I'd hope for and more. He, he is the joke when he got recruited was Mike Hart, but fast. And by golly, he did it. So. Uh, praise be. Um, I don't really have anything else uh, on this game other than the Kinnick experience was awesome. Um, the wave was so cool to do in person. Uh, the stripe, the stadium, I, I looked, I mean, I can't imagine one of the better looking stadiums to enjoy a game at. Uh, it was really cool. And I got to walk out really not having to worry past the end of the first quarter. So that I'm sure helped things. Um, but yeah, I had a great time. I guess real quick shout out uh, defense. Um, 
Mike Morris had a stellar game. Uh, he was constantly disrupting, got two sacks. Um, linebackers didn't look great. Skip that. Uh, <laughs> oh, and then Ayabi o- Oki. Ayabi Oki. Yes, I got that right. Um, he is really coming into his own. I really didn't imagine that a like August 20th transfer into the program would be doing much this year. I was kind of counting on him just being good next year. And he is quickly earning snaps above guys like Taylor Upshaw and Braden McGregor, who had been in the program for a while. And he also had, I believe, a sack and a couple quarterback hits this weekend. So very cool to see from the defense. Um, All around good effort. Let's go beat the Hoosiers this weekend. (laughs) Yeah, that should be pretty easy. The Hoosiers, who lost to Nebraska by 14. That's right. It should be easy. Um, Hopefully this looks like week one through three out here next week. That's what I'm hoping for. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it should be pretty easy. I, I don't see Indiana giving you any challenge. Like, I think Mike Hart can feel pretty safe. He just to go back and show his former employer what's up. That Oh, my God. Blake Corum, 300 yards, four touchdowns. Let's go. Let's eat. Um, anyways, let's talk about your game. I can see the excitement on your face. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maryland, Maryland beats Michigan State, but I don't even know what the final was. It was a couple of touchdowns, right? Uh, 27-13. Pretty yeah. close to the score. We were basically the same score. But. That's wild. But, yeah, uh, not great. Um, I didn't get to see much of this game, but based on the box score, it kind of felt like Maryland should have scored a little bit more, which is what I said last week about Minnesota. I don't know, man. This secondary really is not not good, and and the offense is kind of partner. I don't know. I don't know what to say yeah. that I didn't no, say I last say, week. Speaking of uh, that feeling that you have of like you don't get to usually usually see uh, someone work out, Peyton Thorne. Yeah, that's not really working out, buddy. Um, well, that's depressing. I've seen I've seen this movie I... before. I've seen this movie before. It was Brian Lewerke. Like that's yeah. just the vibes we're getting now. Is you even have like rumors? It's not been confirmed, but like rumors of a shoulder injury. It's just like this just feels like Brian Lewerke with a high school yeah. teammate as your receiver. Like that's the only difference. Um, Defense wise, though, I will I will push back a little bit on them. I mean, that first half and the stats are ugly. the stats are ugly. Like you can't look at the box score and think that was anything but ugly from the defense. But at the end of the day, I mean, you play one of the better offenses in the conference and only give up six points in the second half, you should find a way to make that a game. Um, You know, they had another goal line stand. There's a little bit of hidden points in this game. There's the goal line stand. There is a really horrendous Big Ten call calling back a Maryland interception return to the one-yard line, like – that's probably another touchdown that. before half. Like that's just, I mean, there's some hidden points in this game where where it could have been more of a blowout. But I just, I mean, the tries. I think if you're an MSU fan, like one thing I can't wait for was they at least have you can you can't be lazy and say they're not trying things anymore because they at least are trying things now. Like this game, Angelo Gross was in the nickel. They brought in Jaden Maynum to play safety. Like they're moving guys around. The I noticed guys up on the line 
much more. They're still not jamming receivers at the line, but I mean, I kind of feel like, especially against a receiver like a Raheem Jarrett for Maryland, like that's just so like you're fucked if you do, you're fucked if you don't. Like if you jam at the line, if you go to jam at the line and he beats you, well, there's a 60 yard bomb over the top. Like these are not yeah. good enough corners that if they get beat off the line trying to jam up on a receiver, they're going to recover. Like these are not. Georgia DBs that Mel is working with these are except for Amir Speed who transferred down from Georgia and we're finding out maybe for a reason uh that you know it's just not the same so the stats are ugly I I thought defensively much better than Minnesota but I mean we're still comparing like the dog shit is better than the horse shit like that's about all we're looking at um offensively though man like they're hanging around in the first half they left four or seven points out there because of special teams um you have a, a missed extra point because of a bad snap you have a mixed fi- missed field goal you have a blocked field goal so like oh like it could be like 21 20 at the half uh but then you come out and i think they had a stretch of like four three and outs in a row it's like whoa what are we doing here? <laughs> the defense yeah. finally shows up for a half, and then you also decide not to show up. Um, brutal, man. Brutal. And and now I'm starting to get pretty upset with some of the coaching decisions. Like, speaking of that special teams, why is the backup kicker kicking? Not that our starting kicker has shown much to make you say it's got to be his job. He's one of two on the season. But – the kicker who you said replaced him misses his first attempt. And it was only like a 33 yard attempt. And it was a brutal miss. He missed it by a full half, half goalpost. Like it was bad. And so that happens. And then you have Elijah Collins, five carries, 36 yards. That's a pretty good yards per carry, especially behind this offensive line. I was going to say that's kind of Walker numbers. Answer for me why it was five carries. Yeah. Why is it five carries? He's averaging 7.2, but you give Jalen Berger nine carries at which he clips 3.8 on average. You can spread it around. You can do that just fine. You don't have to give Elijah Collins 20 carries. He's probably not made for that. But I'm just starting to question like the in-game decisions, and I don't know who is on that. I don't know if that's Ephraim Reed, who's the running backs coach, pulling guys in out. I don't know if it's Jay Johnson. I don't know who is who's responsible for that call, like within drives or you know before drives. Who's going to be the RB one on that? But that's some stuff that, like, even as I said previously, I don't expect us to win very many games down the stretch. That's the stuff I'm going to start watching now because I just have to. I mean, I'm going to watch, and we're going to get killed in a lot of these games. But I want to see like. Can you show some competence? Like we all believe in you and as a recruiter, and we've bought into that. But I'm just starting to see better personnel decisions. I'm gonna to need to start seeing better leadership too on this team. Like Peyton Thorne gave me so many bad vibes with body language and just and just snapping the ball with like two seconds on the play clock and no urgency when you're trailing. Like just so many things that were just pissing me off. And I was on edge. I'll be honest. I missed most of your game because I watched a shitty Wolves game again. Mm. So to which we sacked our manager. And now I'm like, well, that gives me hope. Maybe something new will happen to Wolves. I have no reason to tell you as an MSU football fan. Anything to give you hope 
MS, Ashton Henderson, and Jacob Slade, and all the injured guys come back. And uh, it doesn't yeah, matter because we have Ohio State and Michigan this month. So it just it. doesn't matter. Like, Damn it. You beat me to it. I was going to say, at least you have an easy opponent coming up this week. <laughs> so here's the thing about this game. And we'll get more into this on our pick show later in the week. Um, but just a brief overview. I think Ohio State has looked like the best team in the country thus far. Uh, and so there's not much you could do here, even if you're an average-ish Big Ten team. I don't think this is going to go very well for you. Like, I, I think with, as much as it is funny with Wisconsin getting their ass beat by Illinois, like – I think Illinois is a pretty decent Big Ten team, and like Wisconsin, so I think is an okay team, and they got throttled by Ohio State, and it was never even a competition. Um, it's time where Brendan's gonna start giving the Buckeyes some respect. Unfortunately, that comes this week. Uh, I just can't see like like. Mark D'Antonio seems we've talked about this on the show. You have talked about this on the show. How even the three and nine team almost beat Ohio State. Yeah. Zeke Elliott, Ohio State, I think, right? Yes. What do we need here? Is is this feasible for I mean, something like that to happen? We need just me and my Ojibwa brothers and sisters out there making some rain, some fucking rain dance. I don't know. Like I I legitimately it, can't. It could snow up. and they could get the flu. Yeah, I literally can't conjure up what what level Ohio State would have to fall to. Like you would have to fall to Ryan Day gives Travion Henderson six carries, uh, just like the Zeke game where uh, we beat them at Ohio Stadium. You have to have like Travion get six carries. Uh, the first three quarterbacks on the depth chart all miss because of explosive. Oh, come diarrhea. on, come on. Um, all right, and, okay. I, and, Je- and Jensen Smith and Jigba is still out. And this week, Brian Hartline uh, takes a job. I don't care where. Like that's what you need. Michigan, and then and then Michigan State also needs like seven miracles on their side of things. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, it's just, I even if Ohio State hadn't looked as good as they've looked this year, it doesn't matter. We all remember last year, and it was 42 to nothing at the half, right? Like, this doesn't matter. Like, until you show up to play them again. Like, even if MSU was playing well this year, remember, that was a better MSU team we would assume because that was an 11 and two team that went down to Ohio stadium last year and got absolutely thumped. So I think as an MSU fan, I can honestly tell you, even if we were five and oh today, I would still say like, until you go out on the field and make up for the fact that you're down 40 plus points at halftime last year, we have no reason to believe you until you show it. And yeah, it's not, it's not going to be good, man. They're going to probably come out and throttle it the whole first half, just like last season, because they have no reason not to. Just run simple routes. You're going to have six yards of separation. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunately not a lot to talk about in that game. 
considering the hypothetical you had to make up uh <laughs> we'll 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 get more into it when there's a line which maybe creates some intrigue <laughs> um, i think i think when i checked today it's like 26 and a half and uh oh yeah. i'm gonna crush ohio state on that yep. number anyways uh <laughs> Anything else in college football happen? That was, I mean, Kansas still undefeated. Game day is going there. That's yeah. pretty tight. I mean, as bad as my defense is, Brendan, and as tough as this season is, uh, my coach didn't leave us for USC when we think we're a blue blood program, and then we didn't poach the defensive coordinator from Clemson. To then get Molly Womped 55 to 24 by TCU and be unranked. So there's that. I love I'm not that. An Oklahoma I've, fan. I've been on the Oklahoma. I, I don't, I never believed in Brett Venables at Oklahoma, at least not this year. And they were getting like top five ish recognition. And I was kind of befuddled. And so I'm very happy to see the allegations also, are coming true. Also, Georgia Tech. Going in and beating Pat Narduzzi cheered me up. That cheered me up Saturday night. Hell yeah. I was pretty Dude. happy. And speaking of Georgia teams, Georgia almost lost to Missouri last week. It, it was kind of a wild week in uh, college football. Um, yeah. And you know what? Here, I have a way to cheer you up because another team that I root for that you're a rival of um, the Detroit Lions have the worst NFL defense I have ever seen in my life. Not hyperbole. They allowed 48 points. Well, 41 because Goff threw a pick six in an otherwise perfect game. Um, 41 points to Geno Smith. 41. Come on, Dan Campbell. You Dude, get this thing right, baby. They do. Do you know the Lions have the best offense in the NFL and are one in three? It's very neat. Very fun, averaging 35 points a game, and they have one win in four weeks. So, anyways, let's let's move on from football because I just worked myself up for no reason. I was like, that doesn't cheer me up, really. I mean, you really that should cheer you just, up. Did you see Justin Fields in the I don't care. offense second half yesterday? No, you yeah. were driving back from Iowa, probably. I was, and <laughs> <laughs> and to be clear, when the Lions are bad, it does make me feel better. to for the bears to be bad. So you should, you should enjoy that. Anyways, let's talk some, some puck, Jeremy. We've got, we've got some hockey back. Uh, both teams played exhibitions last weekend. Exhibitions don't matter. So don't throw yourself a pity party just yet. Uh, that U18 team is probably pretty good. Um, I'm just so thrilled it's back, man. I like this weekend we got real games. MSU hosting Bowling Green, uh, Michigan hosting newly Division One, first year in Division One for Lindenwood, out of St. Louis, Missouri, as I found out about 40 minutes ago. Uh, and I'm just excited. I'm I'm thinking about a Yost trip Saturday night, just to revel in it all. Uh, how's your excitement level? I'm sure you got to be jacked. Oh yeah, I am. Did you have not have you had a chance to watch? I saw some Michigan highlights of uh, the game against Windsor. Didn't watch much any of it because I, I. So yeah, I used I to saw buy the Big the Ten. Goals. Yeah, I used to buy the Big Ten Plus pass and do the Sport Pass so I could watch all the other teams play hockey. But then I realized I really don't want to watch the other teams play, and I'd rather watch like the occasional MSU soccer game. So now I purchased the 
the, I made that change team, this year. Yeah, I made my yeah. team pass. So so I didn't get a chance to watch any of the Michigan game. Um, like I said, just saw the highlights. But Michigan State-wise, like, I watched the first and third period, so I, I missed the second period of the game. Um, I mean, no, like, definitely, if you're an MSU fan, don't care about the result. Like, this U18 team, you have to remember how to – you don't have to remember. You may not know, so let me give you a little bit of background. Like, the way the MTDP works – is it's a two-year commitment. You guys all come in together as your 17-year. You play together. You play a schedule, a lot of USHL junior games. You play some tournaments like the Five Nations Cup and do some different tournaments, um, like international tournaments. And then you move up to U18 all together. Again, you've played a full season together. Your coach moves with you. You play U18s together. Now you do the schedule where you're playing some junior A games, but you do the whole college tour. Um but again, you still play your international tournaments as well. So that team has been every single guy in that lineup basically has played together for a full year plus uh, with this coach. And you're playing a team of a lot of transfers with some guys who were here last year with a brand new coach on night one. So it is what it is. It's going to go whatever. The, you take away a Four, five three minute was stretch. The final, right? Yeah. And you take yeah, away a so- five minute stretch where. It goes from a one-one game to four-one during the second, and uh, and and things are totally different. The third period, though, like they couldn't get out of their own zone. Meaning the NTDP, like MSU, was all over them. Um, and I mean, it went kind of perfect, right? Like kind of, from a recruiting standpoint, like I don't mind the fact that we lost. The game-winning goal goes to Gabe Perot, a kid that you're in the final three to get, and uh, the winning goalie on the other side was Trey Augustine, a kid who you flipped from Michigan. So. Kind of a fun night all around. You can see some of the future on the other side. Um, shout out to the MSU student section who we've talked before about how hockey recruiting isn't really known. They still made signs for Gabe Perot that he should commit here, which I think I've never seen that in college hockey. And that was pretty Oh, awesome. that's awesome. And, uh, and I mean, there are some technical things. I don't know how in-depth you want to get on it, but in, in, in technical terms, there are some things I saw that I really, really like. Um, even in a loss. Oh, that's great. That's what you're looking for with a new coach, right? You you got a new guy in, you're seeing new systems. The result isn't what you want, obviously, but dude, like it is what it is. It's an exhibition against a team. Like you said, that is, has been together against literally your first game. Uh, If they play this game in the middle of November, December as an exhibition, I'm sure MSU wins it. And you can say whatever. They're all 18, and you have some 20-year-olds. Right now, that roster has more NHL players, future NHL that players on it than yours. That is okay? correct. Like, I mean, and that's changing. Almost every – yeah, and that's changing in the future. But right now, that NTDP roster will have 8 to 10 kids go in this upcoming NHL draft. MSU doesn't have 8 to 10 kids that have been drafted over the last four years on this roster right now. So – it's it's not even the same from at least like a talent perspective, um, you know, on just pure talent there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, my number one thing, and I and I tweeted about it Saturday was, so Brendan, you may remember, you know how it was like a cool innovation maybe like ten years ago, but uh, Mike Babcock got all this credit because the Red Wings zone entry on the power play, right? Um, mm-hmm. When you're skating through the neutral zone. You do the drop pass in the neutral zone to a guy who's wheeling and yeah. he carries it in. So let me explain this to people why this works this way a little bit. We'll get a little technical today for the folks. We'll teach Let's them a go. little bit. 
So when you're on the power play and you have a five on four advantage, the other team, they know that their goal is to just not give you an easy zone entry. So they're basically going to sit three guys across the blue line as you come up the ice. And they're going to maybe send one guy at your puck carrier. Now, zone entries in hockey are, you kind of have a few different options. You mainly have the option of either trying to skate it in, avoiding any checks, anything like that, come in, maintain possession, or go old school and dump and chase. But you really don't want to give up possession on a power play and dump that into the corner. There was a time when you used to play hockey that way, but defensemen are too good now. They're going to go get that puck, make an outlet pass. You can't just surprise them with a dump and chase anymore. So this thing got really popular to do this drop pass in the neutral zone. Your man who's skating the puck up the ice, as someone finally goes to engage him, he drops it back to someone with speed, and he got past that first guy, that first layer of defense. And you can maybe create like an odd man scenario, like a three-on-two, or at least get into the zone easy so that then you could set up your umbrella or whatever formation you're using on the power play. The problem with that zone entry is when it is so damn obvious that the guy with the puck has only one option, and that is, I don't care if there's no one in front of you, I need you to do this drop pass, it's pretty easy to defend. And MSU, time after time under Dan Cole, that puck carrier would have no pressure and would still make that drop pass because that's what he had to do, and you'd have one guy going into three still. It was the stupidest thing, drove me crazy. And it looks like Adam Nightingale got rid of that, Brendan. And that was all I needed to see to get the excitement. I didn't care that it was a loss. We got a goal <laughs> off of – and they got a goal off of zone entry. Like, they literally – the third goal, the, the Jeremy Davidson goal, is you come in, they create an on-man situation on a power play, cross ice, one-timer, and it's a goal. Last year, that's probably a drop pass to Jagger Joshua coming up and he doesn't really have much to do and he still ends up dumping the puck in because there's still three across the blue line like yes yes it was so nice to see the the drop pass entry certainly got figured out very quickly because the Red Wings did it way past when they should have been as well and you really need just a, a, a dynamic player to make it happen which you, you could make a dynamic player get his own entry without using the drop yeah. pass anyways. You, you so. know the way that that works? That works when you have a defenseman who you want to be the one to carry it into the zone, but that just doesn't situationally happen. So here's what you do. You drop it back to Quinn Hughes. If you have Quinn Hughes, good idea. Do that. If you have Christian Krieger, <laughs> it doesn't do the same thing. Like It's yeah. just not the same threat. And again, it's a fine zone entry if you want to vary it up and say like, hey, if a guy comes at you and you feel like you can't beat him one-on-one, do the drop pass and your defenseman should be trailing behind as that option anyway. Mm -hmm. But you can't make it like, like it looked like an elementary school running like a layup line for basketball where it's like obvious like, oh, I catch it, I move here, I put the puck here. Yep. Like, I I guess what it showed me was that the Dan Cole crew couldn't really understand how to break down video. So they assumed that every other coaching staff never looked at video and didn't know how to break down a 15-year-old zone entry. We don't don't need to yell about Dan Cole. Oh, man, how the turntables on that guy. 
Uh, hey, so you hey. said Quinn Hughes, but you actually could have used Luke Hughes because, buddy, I'm telling you. So he didn't play this Saturday, I will say. Uh, being in Iowa, I did not get to see any of this game, but I did watch pretty much all the goals. Luke didn't play, um, but uh, Adam Fantilli was the story. He uh, was very, very good as the first-line center. Um, Frank Na- Frank Nazar also didn't play. Um, so th- they were missing a good chunk of guys. I think they won six or seven to two. It was not seven to two. Yeah, seven goal was was gorgeous. Yeah, so. it, it was not a game. Um, I, I like I said, I didn't get to see a ton of it, but from what I heard, um, Fantilli, both Fantillis look great. I really don't need to uh, specify. Uh, I believe if I get this wrong, I apologize, and it will seem as if I don't know ball, but uh, <laughs> Seamus Casey, I believe oh, yeah. is the name of our fresh other freshman defenseman. Yeah, he's and real good. Everything says also off the NTDP. Yes, extremely good player. Yeah. He uh, a, a, he had a great debut. Uh, from what I read among people I respect, Alex Dranio spilt guys in that vein um, that watch a lot of this team, and they were impressed. I'm pretty excited for this season, man. They're they're a young team again. It kind of feels like two years ago, right, for Michigan, where they brought in that class before four out of five went drafted in the NHL draft. Like, they were all freshmen. But the important difference here, I think, is Luke. you do have Luke Hughes, who is that sophomore presence that understood the standard of play last year. And you have that guy to rely on. I think he's going to be a Hobie Baker candidate this year. It would not surprise me at all if he won it. Um, And I think Michigan is not lucky to get him back for his second season. But I think if he has a similar year to how he was last year, say in Quinn's vein, where when he was kind of the main cog on that team, I think he would have had a similar year last year. So I, I'm really optimistic about him and this team's chances. Um, every soundbite I've, I've heard out of Brandon Naruto has been very positive to me. Um, talking about the culture he's trying to build, and he's built an emphasis on that. And it doesn't sound to me like a guy who has that interim tag on him. Um, the way he talks and the way he has been going about this it's very much his audition, and to me, it's his job to lose. And yeah. he is – I mean, we'll see here. I, I, I'm expecting him to take it by the horns, and uh, I, I'm – going into the year, I am expecting that my hockey coach one year from today when we're talking about our exhibitions will be Brandon Naruto. So. Yeah. No, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Just to give you a college hockey whip around and say that, you know, again, not the worst weekend for either of our teams. Because I just want to say that uh, we didn't lose to Alaska Anchorage like Western Michigan did. Uh, Alaska Anchorage, who did not play last year. Uh, so that's game one of them for, for a full calendar year. Uh, Long Island took Northeastern to overtime, losing three to two. And that NTDP team that some MSU fans might be like, oh, we lost to some teenagers. Yeah, they went down and they beat Notre Dame, a top 10 team, 5-3 to three after they played MSU. So on the second night of a weekend, they went down and beat a top 10 team. So not for you now. And Tony Granato, who we talked about before, lost to Lakehead, 
a CIS school three to two last night. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't lost, see that. That's awesome. They lost Let's their go. Canadian exhibition. Um, mm. Oh, so, that brings me so much joy. Yeah, man. They lost their Canadian exhibition on the day that the football coach was fired. Not an ideal mm. start. Uh, and they opened their season with top 20 Ohio State this weekend. So They're playing yeah, Big man. Ten games on the opening weekend, huh? Yeah, it's a weird, weird uh, situation where I don't know why they're playing that. Uh, I know they're playing Saturday and yeah, Friday, Saturday. You know, yeah, going on. No, good games this weekend though, man. Like Nerdin plays Denver in the Icebreaker. You got a top five matchup: Minnesota State, Minnesota at Mariucci. Like that's going to be great. yeah, man, like, I'm just excited. Like, I'm excited that exhibitions are done. Hockey exhibition season isn't very long. It's like a week, so it's not not exactly that long. But uh, I'm ready for the real games to roll in here. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and see some of the top matchups this weekend. Yeah. So. Hey, man, I'm excited to watch our teams play. Uh, I, I can't imagine all because I'm also on that Michigan pass on Big Ten Plus. So I probably won't see any of you guys but i'm excited Here's, to watch them put lindenwood made law only lost six to four to minnesota in their exhibition last weekend uh as you were telling me pre-show they've known this promotion was coming and they are well prepared so could be yeah. a good test for michigan uh bowling green usually has a decent team this i think will be good for michigan state I, I it'll be it'll be fun to hop on next week and talk about that's for sure yeah and uh yeah, it'll be a great, great weekend, and we'll tell the FBI to earmuff it right now. Hey, Brendan, we could share passwords and uh, watch each other's teams. Yeah.